and welcome to Connect with Causeway. I'm your host, Therese Mulvey, Vice President of Strategy at Causeway Solutions. Today, we are very excited to welcome our new Manager of Insights, Jamie Epler. Jamie is leading the work that we're doing in the entertainment arena, and she brings a wealth of experience in developing client relationships and strategies to impact positive change. It's very exciting to welcome you to connect with Causeway, Jamie. Hi, all. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to join you today and talk about entertainment data. Well, as you know, we love data nerds. I am also joined, not to make any assumptions, by our manager of strategic partner, Lauren Korneck. Welcome back, Lauren. Don't we love data nerds? Oh, yes. Hey, Therese. And hey, Jamie. In today's episode, we are going to talk about the always popular topic of entertainment. I guess we needed a little break from Tim and healthcare. I don't know. I guess we're just kidding about Tim. I kind of miss him right now. But here we are, and we are going to be talking about movies we see in the theaters, as well as content we enjoy at home. So it's a really, really big topic. There is so much data and information to discuss and so much that we are still working to develop. But with that as an introduction, I'm going to hand it to Jamie and allow her to jump in the deep end. Yeah, so we know that the entertainment landscape, specifically the movie industry, has changed over the last decade. You know, there's been the disruption of streaming, and I think I recall a pandemic somewhere in there. Uh, I think I heard about that. (laughs) Yeah, I was actually surprised to learn that since the pandemic, the number of theatrical movie screens has only decreased by 5%, and that actually some movie theater companies increased their screen count. Wow, that's an interesting stat, Jamie. I don't know, I think all of us would have thought it would be higher. One of my favorite sayings, perception is not reality. That's why we need research. Yeah, and even our own research kind of shows an interesting picture to go along with that. So compared to this time last year, More people said that they went to the movies up until this point at least once, but fewer now said that they went more than five times. And this back and forth is also seen in just the industry's grossing numbers. 2023 set to have a domestic box office hauling of about $9 billion compared to last year's $7.5, but we're still not quite at peak 2019 levels of $11.3 billion. Yeah, Lauren, that's really interesting because the Cinema Foundation says that box office has rebounded to 2019 levels, but that's specifically on the film by film basis. So the biggest differentiator between 2019 and 2022 is the number of wide releases. The movies that were widely released actually performed as well or better than the same type of movie releases in 2019. So just to reiterate, what you're saying is the movies themselves are performing as well as they did before but the number of releases is not back to where it was. Yep, you got it. And so in 2022, the studios released fewer films to theaters because of the pandemic's disruption to production and the increase in direct-to-streaming releases. I think it'll be interesting to see how the 2023 numbers pan out compared to 2019. Yeah, the post-pandemic stats are, I think, indicative of the strength of movie theaters and the theatrical release in the market. So that same Cinema Foundation report that Jamie mentioned also said that in 2023, 50% of the respondents said that they were likely to stream a movie specifically if they knew that it was released in theaters prior. It's quite a comeback considering that the streaming industry benefited during those days of quarantining and still shows the power, I think, of the theatrical release. 
Right. Yeah. Lauren, to your point, people are more likely to stream movies. It's almost as if the theatrical releases serve as a marketing strategy more than anything else. So if we consider the role that streaming plays, it seems more that it replaces DVD and Blu-ray sales more than the actual activity of movie going. It's just that streaming does not replace theaters, period. Well, I think it makes it really clear that theatrical and streaming releases are really different, right? You can compare many of the attributes, you know, they're all movies, but when it comes to being people, they're really different behaviors or activities. That leads me to one of our next topics, which is measurement. And I know they're measured really, really differently. Right. Yeah. Theatrical tracking and performance measurement is not anything new. There's plenty of well-established players in the market and the data is reported regularly for everyone to see. You can completely Google top 10 movie releases and box office performance and tracking. In some ways, those theatrical releases are really easily understood. Yeah. I mean, and movies have been around for a long time. People buy tickets, but um, the streaming market is so different. I know that much like the struggles that old-fashioned broadcast TV to make sure everybody remembers I'm a boomer <laughs> has been and continues to be plagued by is measurement. So let's continue to talk about that. Well, how much time do you have? <laughs> that's where we run Lots. into yeah. That's where we run into a lot of the issue with the measurement. It's you know the fact that streamers themselves are only offering crumbs of data, and they're frankly patting themselves in the back for even that. We have no way to validate whether those top trending or most popular titles that streamers put on their front pages are accurate, right? Like Netflix shares their hours viewed and number of views, but again, we just have to take their word for it. I know that me personally, as a parent, I kind of refuse to believe that Bunked isn't at the top of the chart based on my own kids' consumption alone. Now I really feel like a boomer because I've <laughs> never heard of that show. <laughs> All right. Well, what about third-party measurement companies? Is there some help and you know opportunity there? Yeah. I mean, as you can imagine, there's plenty of companies trying to chomp at the bit on this gap in the market. There's definitely other measurement companies, including Nielsen. They don't have direct access to the data, though, from the streamers, which means that the measurements aren't consistent across the players. And the data that is available doesn't truly explain who is watching what. Yeah, even in our own data, we see a relatively consistent rate of people who subscribe to the bigger main subscription services over the last few months. But those numbers can't speak to habits or interests or why they would even subscribe in the first place. Even by the measurements of actual measurement companies that you mentioned, Jamie, they're pretty surface level. Like you said, it's minutes or views or even just kind of media or social media impact. So we can know that a movie or show had, say, a billion minutes viewed within a week, but not who that audience even looks like. You make a really good point, Lauren. Let's talk about the who a little bit. As we've done the past with healthcare and politics, this is what it really comes down to in terms of making sure that we understand who we're talking to and what they're doing. Like what is the consumer profile when it comes to streaming versus movies? How are they different? And how are you approaching this question? Cause it's really, I think it's really at the heart of what we're talking about. Yeah, I mean, we're approaching the question with another question, which is who will watch what where? We're trying to create profiles beyond just the standard demographics and give insights beyond minutes watched or the trending titles. So our general plan is to aggregate any available data and to provide that context with our modeled audiences. Yeah, and that layering is definitely needed. So we can find numbers of people who are or were subscribed to a service, but 
you can break it down to say just making an audience of Netflix movie watchers specifically. And according to one of our polls, it's almost 80% of the general population who have watched Netflix at least once last month. That's crazy. 80%. That's a lot of people. Yeah, it's almost all of them. So we need to set up a funnel of our own for entertainment audiences. And that answers the where that Jamie was asking about, but what are they watching? And can we predict which part of that large audience for Netflix movie watchers would be open to watching one piece of content over another? Right. And what's the likelihood that they would subscribe to a different streaming service for a similar movie? Or would they pay to see a similar type of movie in a theater? There's so many questions to answer about media consumption habits. You know, this is similar to healthcare models and audience we talked about with Tim in one of our first episodes. You know, our healthcare audiences are based on something everyone needs, which is healthcare. And here again, we have a huge audience because we're looking at something really everybody does, um, which is watch content. I mean, if they're 80% are watching Netflix, I guess just about everybody is watching something. Mm -hmm. And then like healthcare, we have to focus, or I think we're going to try to focus our models and our audiences on finding those drivers. So here it's drivers of choosing content instead of drivers of care, like the healthcare audiences, and then usage habits. So instead of care type and frequency of visit, we have frequency of watching, type of service or theater, content genre, and more. Right. And what is unique to the entertainment industry versus healthcare or politics, for that matter, is the value of artistry. So we want to be really cognizant not to override that. For example, a data-driven approach may indicate that demand for succession on HBO was at an all-time high in its final season. They could have kept that train moving while everyone was on, but the art of storytelling knows when the train has met its final destination. Oh my gosh, you're reminding me of my withdrawal from Ted Lasso. (laughs) I guess you're telling me that if I'm supporting the arts, I've got to be okay with it. All right. Well, that brings us to their final area of discussion, the industry overall. And I realize that's a very big question when I say, where is it? There's a lot of change happening. And again, many of them remind me of what broadcast television looked like when cable came to town. Commercials, you got to love them. (laughs) It started to kind of look more like cable again, potentially. Studios are playing with the idea of licensing their content, just like in cable or even early streaming days. Yeah, the industry is so volatile right now, clearly trying to gain its footing in this post-pandemic era. Streamers are doing what they can to maximize revenue, including changing subscription models. By 2025, we should expect to see 76% of streamers incorporate an ad tier into their subscriptions. I know it's frustrating as a consumer because we're so sick of ads, but frankly, it subsidizes the cost of our subscription. Most streamers still have a premium option tier too. So if you can't stand a few 60 minute breaks, you have the option to pay a little bit more on the front end. And we will be right back after this advertisement. (laughs) (laughs) Well, not only are we hearkening back to the days of commercials, I like to call them, or advertisements. It's like fashion, I guess, right? Bell bottoms and Crocs are back. And so are ads. Yeah. I mean, I can't promise that you're going to see ads for either of those, Therese, unless, you know, that is what's in your search history. I'm never going to wear Crocs. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, what's true is that there's a rise in streamers that don't require you to pay any subscription fees. There's free ad-supported streaming television, too, or fast services. Tubi, which is a fast streamer owned by Fox, 
appeared on the Nielsen charts for the first time in February. And by now, it already has greater viewership than HBO Max or Peacock. And just this month, the Roku channel has made its debut on the charts for utilization already on par with Peacock. Oh, poor small Peacock. Yeah, I think Peacock is currently held together by Bravo fans watching unedited episodes the day after they air. Am I showing my cards? <laughs> no, I think that's a fine I don't way. know if this is also going to separate people by income. That's for another podcast, right? Who can afford ad-free entertainment and who can't? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think it's a fine admission. It, that's fine. If you want to <laughs> watch your Bravo on Peacock, I think that's a respectable choice. So. Thank you. Thank you for that validation. <laughs> so we should just expect to see ads everywhere we turn with every service every day. <laughs> yeah, we're going to add them to this podcast next time. <laughs> uh, we really did have it good with that ad streaming for a little bit. But I actually just read on an article on Vox the other day that said that once all streamers incorporate an ad tier, that Netflix will be like the new primetime and fast streamers will be the new cable. So advertisers will decide where to spend their money. Wow. So streamers are positioned to increase profits. How is this landing with people making the content? Well, I mean, they're on to them, that's for sure. As a part of the WGA demands via the strike, they want to increase their flat rate residuals and add some viewership-based residuals. But the barrier to the latter is the fact that they lack data transparency that we discussed earlier. Essentially, the people who make the movies and shows have no insight into how they're actually performing. Well, well, clearly this is just the tip of the iceberg because there are a lot of open-ended questions. But at the same time, we are out of time. So uh, we would love to have you back in a few months, Jamie, to see where some of these trends get to by that time. I think there's going to be a lot happening this summer that's going to be pretty interesting. Uh, I'm sure I'll have lots more to share in a few months' time. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll be here waiting for you with all those ads, paid ads. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> As always, thank you to all of you for joining us. We have a new feature for our podcast this episode, which is Extra Data. We will post this to our social media sites so that you can view more in-depth information on many of the topics we covered today. So please be sure to subscribe. We also want to hear from you. Is there something you wish we would ask about in our monthly survey? Many of those questions are what drive our topics on these podcasts. So if there's something that you would like to know more about, please let us know. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Connect with Causeway. Please subscribe to the podcast and tune in again for our next episode in September. 